wonderful to see all of you here tonight. We had a great group in here, don't we? Well, you know, this Sunday it's daylight savings again. And they say spring forward, fall back. But by spring forward, they mean you lose an hour. So I just call it fall over. But <laughs> that's just me. So get ready for that coming this Sunday. All right, it's time for Dr. John and the Technology Spotlight. Tonight, we're going to talk about moons. Remember how Jupiter has like at least 79 moons, a whole bunch of them? Mars has two moons. Here on Earth, we only have one. <laughs> well, actually, now we have two moons. And that's what we're going to talk about. Some researchers at the Catalina Sky Survey were looking for near-Earth objects. And then they saw something that looked kind of like this. <clears throat> and these are their pictures, and you can see the little thing zooming across. And this is the kind of thing that they're looking for. So they started doing some research. Where is it? How big is it? Where is it going? Is it going to hit Earth? And they found out, actually, it's been around for a little while. In fact, since 2017, this object has been orbiting Earth. And it looks like it's not man-made. Remember, a moon is something that naturally orbits around a planet. So this could be our second moon. This is really <laughs> awesome. This, this is really cool. Uh, there's one kind of big problem. That's it's about to leave Earth's orbit. It's been here for a few years, and we just barely discovered it last month. And now it's on its way out. Probably by the end of April, we're going to have only one moon. <laughs> uh, but... While it's here, we want to learn as much as we can about it. Uh, so they started studying how big it is. They figure it's about 6 to 16 feet in diameter. And so that's maybe the size of a car or so, swinging around out there. It's pretty hard to even see without a good telescope. And then, of course, uh, it's orbiting around the Earth, but it's kind of an erratic orbit. It's a little bit tricky to follow. But, you know, it is still a moon, right? So the Gemini Telescope in Hawaii decided they were going to uh, get some good pictures of it. This is the telescope. There's actually a pair of them, one in Chile and one in uh, uh, Hawaii. And this is the telescope that uses the laser to tune the mirrors so it can get a better image through the atmosphere. It's pretty amazing stuff. And they use this telescope to point at this new mini-moon. By the way, they named it. They named it um, CD3 which is not very good. We need a, a better name. I was thinking maybe Little Luna or something, you know? Because <laughs> Luna means moon, right? <laughs> anyway, so they, they finally got it pointed, and uh, this is the picture that they got. And you can see it's pretty small, even in the, the big telescope. Those colorful lines you see are actually the stars because they did three exposures with different colors. They did the red, the blue, and the green, and since this object's moving so fast compared to the stars, the stars were just streaking past. And so those different colors are where the stars were for the different filters that they did. See that? Uh, so this is our best picture of our new mini-moon. Now, I want to take a minute and talk a little bit about why it's pretty amazing and why it's so rare for us to get a new moon like this. 
And uh, it actually turns out it happened one other time that we know of back in 2006. And that little mini moon was only around for about a year or two. But with the way the orbit's going, it looks like we might meet up with it again in 2028. So there's something to mark on your calendars, right? <laughs> Maybe it'll orbit again. Uh, but it's pretty rare because an object, a little asteroid out in space, has to line up just perfect. It has to have the right trajectory and speed. If you imagine a rock coming towards Earth, most of the time it's either going to hit the Earth's atmosphere and burn up, get pulled in by the Earth, or it's going to swing past and keep going. So in order to get caught in that orbit, it has to be just the right speed to get stuck. And uh, then it'll you know, swing around and come around again and stuff. Well, if you look at this uh, simulation, this is a plot of the path that our little CD3 mini-moon has taken. At least that's what they think based on the data they have so far. That white circle, that's the orbit of our big moon. <laughs> And then that erratic line going all over the place, that's the orbit of our mini-moon. You can see why it didn't stay. <laughs> it was going all over the place. Sometimes it was way further than our moon, our big moon, and other times it was even closer. So it was all over the place. And you can see how that's pretty erratic. In order for it to permanently stay, it would actually probably have to lose some energy somehow and then get in a stable orbit. Um, that brings up a really good question. Why do things orbit at all? And out in space, we have gravity just like we have here. But we always talk about how uh, it's weightless, right? You know, things out in space are weightless. If you go in, up into space, then you get weightless. Well, let's think about what that means for a minute. Everything here on Earth has weight except for things that are falling, right? If you drop something or if you jump off of the chair, for that moment while you're falling, you're weightless. And that's really what's happening with these things out in space. They're falling towards Earth, but at the same time, they're going around. And that uh, centrifugal force is pulling them away from whatever is uh, pulling them in. In this case, Earth, right? So the moon is falling towards Earth, but then the centrifugal force of the moon going around Earth is holding it out. And so it's right in that balance where it's going just the right speed that it doesn't fall in, and it's going just the right speed that it doesn't go zooming out and leave Earth. In fact, the moon is just barely a titch too fast, so it's getting a teeny bit further uh, every year, just a teensy tiny bit. But it's extremely stable compared to our mini moon, isn't it? <laughs> and that's the exact same thing that's happening with the planets going around the sun, too. So they're all falling in towards the sun, but then they're spinning fast enough that the centrifugal force is pulling them out. It's pretty neat stuff, isn't it? Uh, it's really hard to uh, measure exactly where these teeny mini moons and little asteroids are going to be because just the solar wind, the energy coming out of the sun, is pushing on them enough to change their orbits a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's pretty awesome when we find something like this. Maybe next time we'll have a spaceship ready to go up and look at it, you know? And maybe if we pull it just a little bit, we can have it be a permanent moon. Then we can have a full moon and a new moon, right? <laughs> well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. All right. And now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias.
Okay. Okay. Well, I'm super excited because for the breakthrough tonight, we are talking about photography. And today, it's estimated that over 2 billion pictures were taken. Some of you were part of that. I can tell by your faces. Some of those were probably just for your mom to see. Some of them were probably for the world to see, and only your mom liked them. <laughs> but <clears throat> 2 billion pictures. And so if we, we're going to kind of quickly go through some of the evolution of how photography became what it is today. And we have to go all the way back centuries ago where we had something, it was kind of a phenomena that they had noticed. And that was basically, if you had a, a room that was completely dark and you poked a hole in a wall going outside, looking outside, if you could get the wall, the inner wall, at the right distance from that little hole, you could actually, if you kind of got used to the dark, you could see a projection of what you saw outside flipped and projected on the wall. That little hole in the wall acted kind of like a lens. And here's a little graphic kind of showing if, if what I just said didn't really make sense. But that's basically an image that is projected and it's upside down. And people like da Vinci are said to have actually used this um, for some of the paintings that they would do when they would start a sketch sometimes. And it was kind of an exploratory thing where they would try to get their canvas in that dark room and get the projection on there and then they could start you know, getting shapes and things by the projection. But then it started to be a question of what if we could somehow freeze the projection that was on the wall? If there was some way to capture that moment or that light that was being projected. And so when we think of photography, what it st started to become was some engineers and scientists started to think, well, if I could make that room smaller and then I'll get a piece of glass on the hole that could focus that image and now it's shooting that onto the back wall of my little room and then they figured out a way to use special chemicals that when exposed to light would be changed by the light and they would put that on a sheet and put it in the little room and uncover the lens and then cover it again and that projection would hit the back of the room where the sheet is and project that image, and then the chemicals would react to the light. Now that sounds pretty cool, but a very, very tedious thing. Pretty much you had to be a chemical specialist, uh, to be a professional photographer, wasn't like a superb lighting guy, he was a guy who knew about chemicals and knew a bunch of stuff about it. And if you think about, and what we're gonna talk about mainly with the process that they started to use was glass sheets. So they would take glass sheets and they would put this special chemical on it to get it ready, and then they would put it in a little container with a different kind of chemical, and what this was doing was getting it, and that, that container was closed off from light. And by the way, when they opened that container, they had to be in a dark, dark place, because that was the stuff that would change when it was hit by light. So they had to go in a dark room, open the box, put the sheet of glass that had a chemical into the box of liquid, close it, wait about three minutes, then open it and pull the sheet out, and it's wet, and they put it in a little slip that kept all the light out, because remember, the light is what's going to do the magic to the sheet of glass. Well, it's actually, it's not like, okay, it's ready, I'll put it on the shelf in a couple weeks, I'll use it. It was, I have about 15 minutes to take this picture. So then they put it in the back of that camera on a huge tripod, and then they open it, and then they close it. They take it out, not done yet, we have to go back to the dark room and do more chemicals. They put the developing chemical on it, 
and then they wash off the developing chemical at the right timing and carefully to get the negative. A very long process, and all of that stuff we talked about, you have to carry it with you wherever you go because you've got to develop it. So you have to have this chemistry lab everywhere you're going to take a picture, and you have to have glass sheets. And when you take the picture, you know, we're talking about not instantaneous. It was seconds to even minutes um, for these things to, to happen. So if we look at some of these pictures, if you've ever looked at pictures from this era, that one on the left is my favorite. It's a wedding photo. <laughs> Newlyweds, the joy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, why are they, you know, it, it looks a little bit, you know, they're not happy. Well, they're posing, and in a lot of cases, they even had these little stands they'd put behind you with this little squeezy thing they'd put on your neck to help you hold still. And so most people weren't, they, oh, I'm supposed to, okay, hold very still. You know, like that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons a lot of the pictures are kind of that, that look. They're trying to hold really still. Um, and, you know, it's be, it'd be very different, you know, if you were taking a selfie with, you know, the Grand Canyon for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, so they had to wait a long time. Now, if we go back to these pictures, this bottom photo of a young man named George, and he is getting his picture taken here, and he's got the thing holding him still, okay? Well, he loved this photography thing, and he got into it. He was able to get one of these cameras and the whole chemistry set, and he could not figure out how to do it. Finally, he paid a professional photographer $5. This is in the late 1800s to help him learn how to do it. He learns how to do it, learns how tedious it is and cumbersome, and he thinks there's got to be a better way. Well, he hears about these people in Britain who are doing experiments with some new kind of film or a new kind of plates. Now, all the plates up to this point was that wet chemical, and they called it wet plate photography. Okay, And what he heard about was this idea of dry plate. What if you could get the chemical on there and it was dry, it wasn't wet and dripping. Well, he thought that was phenomenal, and he started working in his mom's kitchen at night with chemicals, trying to figure out a way to do this, and he used gelatin to get uh, the chemical onto the sheet of glass and have it dry, but he was thinking ahead, much further ahead, in that, okay, if I have this, that doesn't mean it's just not messy. Now I can store this, put it away, I can go somewhere. I don't have to have a wagon with a tent for my darkroom and a bin of water and all the chemicals. I can just have the sheets of glass in the camera. I can take the picture exposed onto the glass and then save it until I go to a more convenient place to develop it. And he, when he thought of that, he thought, this is going to be huge. And he started selling his dry plate uh, panels. And they did pretty well. And then he thought, what if I take this a step further and I put this gelatin chemical onto paper? And I have like this roll of paper, and you roll the paper, you use that piece, and then you roll up more to a blank area of that gelatin chemical, and you can have a whole roll of this stuff. Well, he showed it at an invention fair, and he won several awards, but all the professional photographers didn't really seem to catch the vision. So he decided, I know what to do. I will go to the consumer. I will go to the ordinary, you know, you really have to know all these chemical things to be able to be a photographer. So he changed everything, or thought he would change everything, by he, he was going to make a small camera. 
And so he worked with several companies in his city. He got a smaller lens, they got more light, so it could take a picture faster. He got a shutter button that you would push and that would snap the picture. And he put a little roll of film, is what he called it, in the back with this gelatin on it. And so here's a picture of his box. You can see the little hole at the front, that's the lens. And to arm it, to take a picture, there's a string that you'd pull up and then let go and it would get pulled back in the box. Now it's armed and you can push the photo release button. Takes a picture and you see that little handle at the top that you spin, that's to spin it to the next uh, piece that's ready to have a picture taken on it. And you could take 100 pictures. And he thought, I've got to have a name. And he wanted a word that would be branding that nobody knew and he he wanted something that wasn't in the dictionary, and so he, he decided Kodak would be what he would call this. His name is George Eastman. Uh, and he started to release this camera, and the phrase was, you press the button, we'll do the rest. So you get one of these cameras, you take a picture, and when you've used up the 100 photos, you can ship the camera to the factory, and in a few weeks, you'd get it back in the mail with all of the photos developed, and a new roll of film in the camera ready to go. And this exploded. And all of the sudden, something that was so tedious that only specialists could do, he had taken and turned into something that anyone could do. They said the Dalai Lama came down for a visit, and he brought his Kodak camera. Um, everybody was using them. Here's some, some photos. They were round, the prints that he would return. And all of a sudden, you didn't need to have that wagon of equipment, you could literally just point and shoot and capture an image. So from something really tedious, and it was still tedious, but he looked at it from a new perspective and saw a new way to do it, but he had to learn the science first. So next time you're taking a photo for Instagram, just be grateful that you, know, you didn't spend an hour on a selfie, or did you? <laughs> Thank you. And now, introducing Roger Billings. Oh my goodness, we forgot your intro. <laughs> That's okay. We did it so much last time. You guys want to see her intro again? <laughs> okay, here it is, the Page intro. Ta-da. That's exactly what I like. There it is. <laughs> oh, you gotta love that, don't you? <laughs> what? She doesn't like it. What's wrong with it? Hmm. She doesn't like the little go like this. <laughs> Can you guys give me just a second? I'm gonna, I did that. I'm gonna change it. You're gonna change it right there? Oh, hang on. Here we go. Okay, Here we go. Did you change it? Yes. That little thing like this, it's gone. Okay. You, you wanna see it? Uh -huh. Okay, watch this.
Hey! What? Did you like that? Yes, Bert. I can't hear you. Okay. Was that a little bit too much in your face? <laughs> not to worry. Uh, yeah, that was that was bad. <laughs> she didn't like that. I did the not face. like that. <laughs> All right. I think I got it. I'm concerned. <laughs> there it is. Good. Now you're happy with yeah, it? Yeah, we're good. Okay, you guys happy with that one? No? I like that one. That's the best so far. Okay, well. Incognito. You want to be good looking? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I wonder if I have Photoshop. It's an on ego here. problem. <laughs> it's give what me, all girls want. They give me be one good more looking. try. Do you want it serious? I do. And any any other requirements? I want it to be stunning. I want stunning. it to look nice. What what color do you want? I want my hair blonde. Lots of colors. Lots okay. Of colors. <laughs> I can do it. Don't just go with me. Wow, okay. So you want beautiful, stunning, uh -huh. lots of colors. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh-huh. That's the yeah, How do you I spell really want beautiful. <laughs> capital B, capital E. Ladies and gentlemen, the Page intro. I deserve this. Yes. <laughs> she does deserve it, doesn't she? I deserve that. So, uh, did you notice that Dr. John was in rare form tonight? I did. He brought that new moon. Yeah. And, and did you see that or orbit? It looked like a heart. Do you see that orbit? I think we should name that little moon Hardy. Hardy, I like Hardy. Yeah. And then when it goes zooming off, we'll call it Heartless. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too, because it really, we got attached to it, didn't we? Oh, yeah. I, I just think it's really neat. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's interesting that this moon that comes zooming by and the size of a car that, you know, maybe it's an alien spaceship. No. Yeah, I'm a soft spot Forget for that. those. <laughs> but uh, it has a very hard time getting in a good orbit, so it can't stay. And that's how orbits are. If it's just a, moving a little bit too fast, then it escapes and it flies off into space. If it's going a teeny bit too slow, then pretty soon it falls into the Earth and becomes a meteorite. And so how do you get it exactly perfect? And our moon has been around, well, at least half my lifetime. <laughs> at least. Our moon is in such a perfect orbit, it just stays there and stays there and stays there. And uh, it makes one wonder, how could it get in such a perfect orbit? You know, the, the time that it takes uh, a planet to spin clear around is called a day. So the sun is straight up at noon, and 24 hours later, it's straight up again because the earth turned clear around, right? But then, how long it takes the earth to go around the sun, we call a year. 
and that's 365 and a quarter days. That's why we just had leap day, because it doesn't come out to be exactly a day, right? And even leap day has to be corrected every so often, because this isn't exactly a quarter. But our moon has a day which is exactly the same as its year. Have you ever thought about that before? So the moon goes around the earth, and that would be called its year. And how long is a moon, a lunar year? About 28 days, right? And so as we watch it, we have the new moon, the crescent, the half moon, the full moon, the half moon, and then the waning moon, and then it starts over again. So it's going around the earth in 28 days. But how long is the day on a moon? And that's how long it takes it to turn clear around. It's 28 days. And so if you think about it, when, when we look up at the moon, we're looking at the front of the moon, and as it starts to go around us, when it gets over here, we should be looking at the back of the moon. Except it turns one half turn. And so the same side of the moon is all we ever see. Because its year and its day are exactly the same. And its orbit is so perfect, it just stays there. After a hundred years, a thousand years, and much, much, much larger numbers of years. It's a perfect orbit. And did you know that the moon is very important to life on this earth? I mean, how could it just happen to get so perfect? Kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about that uh, this past week. And then tonight, it was like fate has shown upon me. That's right. I came in here, and Dr. Peget was wearing this sunshine-colored shirt. Yeah. Did we, did we plan this? No, we didn't plan this. And you know why she's, she's wearing it? Because she's doing some lessons. Yeah. Some social emotional that lessons, and anyway, but uh, would you mind helping me share something I want to share? Yep. Okay, what what I need you to be is the sun. Okay, <laughs> so right could colors. you just go ahead and you know? <laughs> I, I just need you to be the sun. How sun? How? It's well, where do you want be, my beams? Supposed to be round. <laughs> Here we go. Am I good? The yellow shirt is supposed to be in the middle of the sun. Oh, wow. What the heck? Like this? There you go. <laughs> that works. Okay. Can they see? So, well, you can make your sun any way you want to because we're, we, we're creative. Okay. Maybe go ahead and put it up here. I, I'd like that. Fifth position? Big sun. The sun is very big <laughs> and flat. Okay. But seriously. Seriously, where do you want my hands? <laughs> okay. Just, would you like a diagram to see where to put I them? I would. Okay. Could we please bring up the NASA... A uh, picture of the sun, please. Okay, oh, you see wow. it there? Okay. That is the sun. That's an awesome. And can you see those things shooting out of it? Mm-hmm. Do you know that on the surface of the sun, the temperature is a cozy 1 million degrees? I mean, that's that is neat. really, really hot. And these things are being shot out of the sun, and they are very high-energy charged particles. And they go shooting out in every direction. 
and some of them come towards the earth. Now, the sun is what keeps it us warm. Mm -hmm. It's what gives the light for the plants to grow, which is the food for everything on this earth. But the sun also shoots something towards the earth called solar wind. Now, we have wind that blows leaves around. That's just air moving. But solar wind is these charged particles that are emitted out of the sun and they come to earth towards us at hundreds of miles per second not per hour. That's a hundred times faster. Come shooting through space and they hit the earth. And that's a really big deal because those high energy charged particles are very dangerous. In fact, they're dangerous to our health. And they also can be very dangerous to our atmosphere. Uh, I'd like to show you a picture of the earth with the atmosphere around it. And if you look, can you see that very thin blue haze around the surface of the earth? Mm -hmm. That is our atmosphere. It's, it's very thick down close to the ground. Mm -hmm. And then the farther out you get, it gets thinner and thinner and thinner. That atmosphere is all of the oxygen we breathe. It's absolutely necessary to sustain life that we have that oxygen. The problem is the charged particles from the sun that make up the solar wind skim our atmosphere and they rip off the molecules and we lose our atmosphere out to space. And then pretty soon, we're a dead planet. That's exactly what happened to our neighbor, the planet Mars. Mars started out with an atmosphere. In fact, we, we have great riverbeds that we've discovered on Mars but no water. And all of the atmosphere that was once there has been lost out to space. We haven't lost our atmosphere. And I think it's, it's pretty neat why we haven't. And I'd, I'd like to, do you know do why we haven't? I don't know. I'd like well, to know. If you'll be the sun. I'll be the sun. Then I will show us. Okay. Okay, go How ahead. do you want it? Oh, that's a nice sun. Just shine towards me. Isn't she a good sport? I mean, that's a good attitude, right? You have Socially to be that when you teach positive. the lessons. <laughs> All right, so the sun's shining, and I've got the earth here. Okay. Okay? And the solar wind coming from the sun hits the at atmosphere and drags off the elements, the compounds that we need to sustain life. We've got to do something to keep the solar wind from stilling our atmosphere. Also, the solar wind is very damaging to us. It, you know, we can get a sunburn, but if we weren't protected, it could be very dangerous, even fatal, to be exposed to this uh, solar wind. And so the Earth has done something very interesting. It's put up a magic shield around the earth to protect us. Did you know that? It's, it's kind of it's a like neat It's like it thing. loves us. <laughs> it, it is, it's, it's miraculous. Yeah. The earth has a magnetic field and it goes way out into space and as the solar wind comes and hits the earth, it bends the solar wind out around us. And so our atmosphere is protected, the plants are protected, we're protected. Now there's our beautiful Earth 
a very, very, very beautiful planet. Mm -hmm. But we at times can actually see this miraculous shield at work. Have you ever heard of the northern lights? Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at them. If you go up near the poles on certain occasions when the, there's a lot of solar wind coming out, we see these northern lights. And they are actually the solar wind interacting with our upper atmosphere. And they're especially neat if you look at them from a satellite out in space. So if we go out in space and we look back at the Earth, well then it might look something like this. <laughs> and there it is. There. Now you can see it. Wow. Look at that. And if you get the right angle, they actually go around the northern and the southern pole. And that, these northern lights, these auroras as they're called, are actually caused by the solar wind being pushed around the planet by this wonderful magnetic protection. It's almost like a magic bubble that goes around us. Now the question is, where does it come from? How did we get this wonderful protection? And it has to be huge. And you kind of get a clue if you have a compass. You ever used a compass and you notice no matter which way you point it, the needle always points towards north? That's because the needle is magnetized and it's filling the magnetic field around the Earth. And it's pointing towards the North Pole. Now the the actual magnetic North Pole is a little bit off from the real North Pole. And so if you want to really get a correct measurement of North, you have to see where you are and then you know how many degrees to correct it because the magnetic pole is a little off. But the magnetic pole is caused by iron. You know, like still iron deep in the Earth's core that is molten. You've seen how volcanoes come out and it's all melted in lava. Well, the very, very core of the Earth is melted. It's a big ball of melting still. Here's kind of a drawing showing it. And in order to create a magnetic field, you have to have a conductive liquid that is moving. And this uh, Convective moving still in the middle, or iron in the middle of our earth, is what creates magnetic field. Without that, we could not live. Without that, there would be no water on earth. And it just happened. <laughs> yeah, we just got lucky. When Mars and the earth were first created, Mars also had a molten core. And it also had a magnetic field. And that's why for half a billion years it had water. It had an atmosphere. But it lost its molten core. And guess why? Because it was too little. Hmm. We're a lot bigger than Mars. Mars was formed about the same time the Earth was, out of cloud of debris out in space when the solar system was being created. 
but out of the distance where Mars formed, there wasn't enough rocky material to make a planet big enough for it to stay molten. And so it lost its molten core, then it lost its atmosphere, and now there's all these big canyons and channels where the water flowed. There was, uh, at one point, they had the biggest waterfall known in the whole solar system, wow. right on Mars. A waterfall that was huge and it would fall two miles, which is like, wow. you know, 11,000 feet. Very, very interesting place. Um, when I was in high school, we sent our first probe to Mars, and we were so excited about it. We've learned a lot more about Mars since then. In fact, just a few years ago, the United States launched a, a satellite that didn't land on Mars, but it actually has been orbiting it, and it's been studying what's happening to the Martian atmosphere, and they've discovered that what teeny, teeny amount of atmosphere is left is being swept away by the solar wind. That's why it has no atmosphere. This year, uh, NASA is sending another probe to Mars. And the purpose of this probe is to find out, is there any sign of life on Mars? Before it lost its core that was molten, before it lost all of its atmosphere, and all the surface water at least, is it possible that life developed there? I mean, could it be little bugs in the sea? In our ocean, they say we have over a million species of different life forms. A million is a big number. I mean, that's a lot of different forms. That would be the plant life, the sea, the sea life. And if all of those forms of life could develop on planet Earth, well then, is it possible that some form of life developed, even if it's just little one-cell critters, could have developed on Mars? A lot of people really want to know. And some scientists say, well, if it could happen on Earth, then it probably could happen on Mars, too. In my magic tricks, I have a, a little box that has a hundred little teeny tiny dice in it. You know what a dice is. The dice is a little cube that you roll it and, and it stops and gives you a number. It has the numbers one through six because on a cube there are six sides. So you've seen them. They put a number on each side and you roll it and see what number you get. People use it to play games. Well, think about it. If I would roll that dice and I want to get a number six, do you think I'd get a six every time? You might. <laughs> That's spooky. I know. <laughs> I've seen spooky. Well, it turns out from the mathematics of probability that if I would roll it a million times, I would probably get six one-sixth of the time because there's six possibilities. And I might get a few sixes in a row, but over a million rolls, it would average out to be one out of six tries, I would get six. But what if I took two dice, and I rolled them both, how often would I get two sixes? Wouldn't be as frequently, would it? Because 
This one would get me six, one out of six times. This would get me one out of six times. But for them both to be there, that turns out to be much less frequent. And if I had a third dice, it would even be harder, and a fourth, and a fifth. Well, I have a little magic trick that has 100 dice. What do you think the chance is I could just roll them and I get 100 sixes? I might have to try that a long, long time. It would be very unlikely that I would ever get 100, I mean, all of them, sixes, because the probability is so low. It would be much more likely that I would do that than life would occur on the earth. Because it would be like having millions and millions of dice and rolling them and having them all be sixes for life to be able to form. And remember, for our life to be able to form, we have to have a molten core. We have to have an atmosphere. We have to have water. We have to have a moon, and it's got to be in just the right orbit, and it's got to stay there. All of these things have to happen to be able to have life. This protection that we have of the magnetic field is amazing. It, it's something that, even with our best science, all of our rockets and our rocket scientists today could not create a magnetic field of that size to protect our planet. It's just, and, and we didn't, it just was there. It just happened. And then you go through all the other things that had to happen to have life. Now here's the thing I want you to think about. The chance that those dice would all say six and do exactly the right thing to be able to create life what if there's life also on Mars? What if it just happened to appear in both places? I mean, the chance of that's impossible. The fact that it did on one is impossible. The fact that it do it on two, if there's life on Mars, then people are going to have to scratch their heads and say, hmm, maybe there's some force that created it. Maybe it didn't just happen. That would be just too, too lucky. You know well, what I mean? Well, the fact that it's beautiful. I mean, at least to me it is. And those northern lights. The don't dice are beautiful? There's, there are no dice on the table tonight. <laughs> they're imaginary? And they're all sixes. I can see them, and they're all sixes. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I can play. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you guys be serious for just a minute? Go ahead. So the northern lights, they're not quiet, are they? They're not quiet. Mm -mm. Let's they, put them back on and see if we can hear them. Okay. They hiss and crackle. Yeah. Because they have what, electricity. Yeah. I yeah. heard they're very loud. And they're very beautiful. They're very beautiful. And sometimes when we get a big burst of a lot of energy, we actually can see them, not just up near the North Pole, but it comes down further and further. And we actually have seen some here. I've seen them. And how did you like them? I love How'd them. they sound? From where I was standing, they were too quiet. They were too quiet. Were too All right. But I saw them. It was really, it was it really It is beautiful. Neat. But when you think that they are actually this amazing protection over life, yeah. well, then you really, really, really 
get excited. Uh, in a way, um, invention is creating things like an earth with a molten core to protect it so it doesn't lose its atmosphere. Now that is a science way beyond what any of us can do. But I think sometimes when we create our little things, whether it be a computer, whether it be any kind of an experiment, uh, a mousetrap, like Claudia's, or whatever it is, we're, we're kind of doing that, that same work of, of creating a world. And uh, I recently uh, read, in fact, uh, Peugeot shared with me a quote of Sir Isaac Newton. Can you share that with us? Do you happen okay. to have that available? Give me a minute. We'll give her one minute. But I want you to hear this. Sir Isaac Newton is one of the greatest scientists of all time. He happened to be British. Uh, he died when he was just, I think, about 45 years old. So he didn't live a very long life. And uh, when he was going to college, the plague broke out. You know, the big sickness that came through and was killing everybody, so they had to all stop going to school and stay at home. So he went back to his farm, and that's when he saw an apple fall, and he discovered gravity, and he discovered calculus, and he's the father of planetary physics and all these things. Without Sir Isaac Newton, we never could have gone to the moon or Mars because he helped us be able to understand where they were going to be. When you shoot a spaceship out to go to Mars, you can't shoot where it is. You've got to aim the spaceship where it's going to go because it takes you uh, a year to get there. And so if you don't know the orbit and you can't calculate that, then you can't do these things. But Sir Isaac Newton um, gave us so much science. He was the one that said, if I've seen farther than those that have gone before, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And it's really true. We, we learn from someone that did their science before us, and then we add ours on, and that's how science grows and develops. And it's really a very amazing thing. Has it ended up yet? Which one do you want? Uh, there were two, but I, yeah. I like that last one that you read me. There's one the about best. gravity. Well, let's read it first. Okay. We, we have just a minute. This is Sir Isaac Newton, the guy that saw an apple fall and figured out there's a thing called gravity. Go ahead. Gravity may put the planets into motion, but without the divine power, it can never put them into such a circulating motion as they have about the sun. And therefore, for this as well as other reasons, I am compelled to ascribe the frame of the system to an intelligent agent. So he thought that the orbits of the planets are so perfect that some intelligent agent put them that way. Read the other one. The atheism one? No. Oh, it's about the sun too. All right, no, it's the atheism. Go ahead and read it, but don't call it that. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Atheism is so senseless. 
When I look at the solar system. Does everybody system, know what atheism is? That's the belief that there's no creator. There's no divine force. Okay? Go ahead. Okay. Atheism is so senseless. When I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. This did not happen by chance. I think he's right. I do too. A lot of scientists disagree, and for a lot of reasons, and they all have their right to think what they choose. But boy, this whole thing is just too darn perfect, isn't it? Uh, can we put the picture up one more time of the Earth? Uh, just look at this beautiful plant. That's where I live, by the way. See, it's beautiful. I this think is it's my beautiful. home growing up. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it's so amazing. And we're looking at it from way out in space, like out of the moon distance. And you can see the storms. You can see the beautiful oceans that we still have. You know, Mars is the red planet. But it used to be blue. Used to be blue just like the Earth. And if you zoom in to the surface of the planet, you can see those auroras we saw a minute ago, but you can also see the most colorful, beautiful sunsets. You can see the beautiful forests, and I love how this time of the year, the trees that have died for winter start waking up and they start putting on that beautiful green foliage. It's a beautiful place that we live in. It is. And we really ought to enjoy it every day. Uh, there was a time in my life when I really got involved in trying to succeed in my, my new business. I'd come out of college and I was just so determined. I was working so hard and it's hard to succeed in a new technology business. And I, I became so consumed in it that I didn't even notice that all of the birds on the earth stopped singing. And then one day I had a, a real significant awakening where all of a sudden I realized I'm missing my life trying to do these things to be successful. And success is wonderful, but there's no reason to miss your life and miss enjoying the people that you really care about. And that day, call it a coincidence, call it what you want, but all the birds started singing again. <laughs> and I hadn't heard them for so long, and there they were. It's really, really a wonderful place that we live. Yes. And I am very much focused on the belief that if we can live our lives filled with gratitude for all the good things that are happening to us, we're always going to be happy. Yeah. And they say, is the cup half full or half empty? You say, oh, look, it's half empty. I got gypped. That's feeling sorry for yourself. And you say, oh, my goodness, my cup's half full. Or it's, oh, I got a quarter of a cup of water. In the middle of a desert, that'd be a treasure. <laughs> Having that attitude is the whole secret to the quality of life. And you say, well, what does that matter? I say, well, what it matters is it's your life. It's whether or not you get to enjoy it or you don't. You 
said, well, I want to enjoy it. Well, then do, because it's a choice. Thank you for wearing the sunshine shirt. It really helped out tonight. <laughs> I wore it for those lessons. Which, ironically, the cameraman back there is smiling at me because he is the one who films it, and we just talked about gratitude and attitude. Pretty intense, isn't it? <laughs> He's yeah. like, I, I've, heard, yeah. I've heard this. Out of all the people at the Academy, I'm sure he has the best attitude. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I am really, really inspired about this wonderful earth in which we live. Me too. And out of all of the things on this earth, the one thing that stands out as the most wonderful and the most precious of all is you. It's the people. And if you think the sunset's beautiful or the aurora or the forest, then you should see the people that walk this planet. No two are the same, not even identical twins. You study them, you can tell a difference. Every single person is precious. And if you really want a wonderful life, just decide that I'm going to live my life taking care of the people on this earth. If there is some divine force that created this heaven, I mean this earth, and made it a heaven, then that creator probably cared most about the people that walk around on it. And I I think the very, very, very best people are the Assal's kids. <laughs> yeah. They're the I want you to know how much I enjoy hearing from you and uh, hearing your concerns. Uh, do you think they have any idea how many people here jump when I get a report about Social science doesn't match, the, the questions don't match the lecture. They have no idea. They have no idea. Okay, yeah, guys, no we got a meeting. <laughs> we got to fix meeting, this. Yeah. we got to fix they this. They have no idea. Because I want yeah. the courses to be absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. I want you to learn all you can because that's what's going to empower you to unlock the mysteries and the wonders of the earth and of the universe. And I sure don't want to be the one at fault for not getting you the information you needed to learn to do your life's mission. I take that very so serious. We love you guys. Keep, keep telling me the good and the bad. I love the good too. But when there is a problem, when it's just not working, let me know. And you say, well, there's so many students, he probably won't notice. I might notice more than you think. <laughs> and the ones that I notice the most are where you uh, kind of reach out and and point out a real problem that maybe I can go to work on. By the way, one of the recent uh, inputs I received from a student was, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a way to refer other students? A referral program, she called it. Mm -hmm. A young entrepreneur. <laughs> a girl. Couldn't, was it a girl? <laughs> it yes, a girl. she is. And uh, just to make sure she could get through to me, she sent her father. She sure did. Through LinkedIn, yep. and we linked up. But anyway, <laughs> we've been having meetings on how we're going to create a referral program. Mm -hmm. And we're actually even looking at uh, how, when you come online and attend Acellus World in May, we, we're 
trying to create a program so you can create your own little blog oh, and you can be an entrepreneur. And we're trying to make it so that you can help tell people about how Celis is helping you and if they get excited and enroll, well then we're gonna see if we can send you a little reward so that this can be your beginning of your entrepreneurial career. And that is because one person reached out, got an idea, and believed in opening the door for us all. Awesome. We're getting a lot of good ideas. Keep sending them in, okay? You get the last word. <laughs> I like being the sun. Okay, could we please finish tonight with that last video intro of the lady that likes being the sun? Thank you, everybody, and good night. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.